So welcome, whoever might be listening to this right now. Um, we are living very strange times, to say the least, and maybe one of our most common forms of entertainment might be in the audio variety, specifically podcasts. So if you whether are listening to this for the first time or are checking out the second episode, welcome, welcome. I want to extend a very warm um, welcome to you guys here, or whoever might be listening. Right now, we have a very special person to introduce. We have the Fine Arts Director at Holy Cross High School, Miss Louisette Sarita. She has various experience being a teacher, as well as in the world of fine arts and film, which is a huge contrast from the guest last week. We are going to have more of an artsy discussion, which, in my opinion, knowing myself that I avoid that sort of discussion, this is going to be very eye-opening and very... I'm going to enjoy this, if I'm going to be honest with you. So, without further ado, uh, Missy, welcome. Is there anything you'd like to say? Hi, uh, thank you for having me on your show. It's an honor to be asked to speak today on whatever subjects you plan to surprise me with. And and I'm, I'm quite proud to know a young man who is working on his future and and doing so well and being quite successful at it as you are. I think it's it's quite a feather in our cap at school to have a student like you, and it's an honor to have you as a student, so. Sure, thank you so much. Uh, so in being a teacher, you deal with many different types of students, especially some students who maybe have been different or maybe have found solace in your class. Has there been ever any time where you found a student oh, that gosh. touched your heart? I would say in the 21 years that I've been teaching, there's numerous students that have touched my heart in different ways from seeing their own growth in, in whatever it is that they're attempting to achieve, whether it's me cheering them on the sidelines of their individual sports or if it's something that they discovered a skill within one of the classes I'm teaching, or if it's something that they have surmounted in their personal life, if it's a moment that they have been kind enough to share with me that I maybe touch their life, you know, positively for the future, and probably also, or quite often also, being able to see them grow. I, I have a unique perspective of, of kids, especially of the ones that I had the first 12 years of my teaching, because I was the only teacher they had every other day of their life from pre-K or Montessori kinder all the way up until they graduated from eighth grade. And then when I switched to teaching high school, some of those very same students I had again in high school. So in some cases, I took them from pre-K through 12th grade, even though it was two different schools. And so being able to see them grow in their faith, being able to see them mature, uh, I have students who have really beat some difficult circumstances and are quite successful with their life now, whether success looks like they're in the military or they're married with children now, or they're successfully managing their life, or they've gone on to do the arts, or they've gone on to be pilots. Uh, you know, success looks different for every human, and it's just nice to be able to see them happy. You know, part of what, in my opinion, uh, that makes teaching such a fulfilling uh, job, because my mom's a teacher, so she's had her fair share of students that have gone over the years. 
And I think that the ability to, I guess, just see what the world is going to look like through, through children, that you get to see what they do will, will inevitably change the world, right? So let's get right into the meat of it. Did you always want to be a teacher? Or was there a moment in your life where you thought, you know, I think being a teacher is my calling? Or did it happen on accident? This is, this is quite the fun story. So hang on for a fun ride. I am and have always been extremely interested in the criminal psychology aspect and criminal forensics. And so from the time I was five, I had been saying I wanted to be a lawyer and I would kind of teeter totter between lawyer and coroner. I even toyed with the idea of maybe being FBI or something. And, and it just always fascinated me. Now, along with that, I have always performed. I learned how to read music when I was three, along with I learned how to read by the time I was three. My parents had to deal, poor thing, with a very precoce child, but they themselves are super intelligent, so I guess they kind of asked for it. Um, and so they kept me interested in many, many things, and I read a lot of books. And um, the other thing that really interested me was biographies. And so I kind of grew up with that whole well-rounded thought process. And at that point, teaching was not anywhere in that life story. In high school, Mrs. Dealman looked at me my sophomore year, and it, it just so happens that I had her a couple of years for English class. And she said, Louisette, I would very much like you to be in TFTA. Now, you've got to know I am a person who loves to be in organizations. I love to help. I love to lead, especially lead. I love to learn about a lot of different subjects all the time. In fact, my my personal idols are, are Leonardo da Vinci and Benjamin Franklin, just because they did a little of everything. And and she, she said, so I want you to come to a meeting. So I didn't know what TFTA was, but I respected Mrs. Dealman. She mm -hmm. wasn't everybody's favorite English teacher, but I loved her. And so I said, sure. So it turns out TFTA was Texas Future Teachers of America. And wow. I, I joined her club. And I did the activities and got my little patch and, you know, I'm in the yearbook picture and, and time went on and I continued, you know, performing with music. I, at that point in, in my life, stuff was happening and I felt solace hiding behind an instrument. So even though I could always sing, even though I could always dance, it was easier for me to hide behind my clarinet or my piano. So I just continued in all things band. And then in college, I actually majored and graduated with public justice uh, from St. Mary's. And about my junior year, and without getting into it too much, things were really awful personally in the house. And these young men, and by young men, I mean they were second graders, little boys, they lived across the, across the apartment complex. And they said, they, they came over and they knew that I, I danced for a long time. And they said, would you help us choreograph a dance for our talent show? And I, you know, kind of hemmed and hawed with my mom and I was not really interested, but everything in my life made me not interested in anything beyond 
being overwhelmed at school and trying to keep my grades up while I managed a job and a boyfriend and, and band and choir. By the time I got into college, I was in choir. And so, mm -hmm. but I, I, I would look at the little guys and, you know, I, I couldn't miss them. They were always playing outside as I would come up the stairs every day from school and they would look at me. And so I finally, I finally gave in and I, listened to the song they wanted and I thought it was highly inappropriate. And so I, I talked to the parents and the, the time, the song of the time, which you're going to laugh because it wasn't necessarily appropriate either was whoop, there it is. And so we, we came, we came to an agreement. They really wanted to do some sort of hip hop rap kind of thing. And, and I figured I could edit out to the inappropriate verses and words and we could come to maybe a verse and a chorus of that and it couldn't be very long again because they're second graders yeah. and so and so we stood on our on my balcony over and over again and and we did verse one and the chorus and then the end repetition over and over again and i i had a band function it makes me so sad that i didn't get to see them perform but i had a band function that night and then which to me i will always regret this i had a, i had a date with a loser <laughs> um, after the band function and and i missed their talent show and i had bought yeah. little jackets for them uh, uh, they all had this like little puffer jacket that we had swung getting them and I had gotten their t-shirts and I had spelled out whoop with big lettering that we ironed on so that at yeah. the end they would drop their puffer jacket in ultimate drama and, and it would say whoop, you know, and they would do the pose and everybody could see it on the back. And uh, sure enough, it turns out they got first place, but I wasn't here. So when I came, when I came into the house, this little boy, the one who lived across from me, he was asleep on my couch waiting for me with a rose to thank me. Yeah. And so that kind of turned me on, if you will, to the thought that maybe I could pass on my performance knowledge. It had never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Now, something I need to say before I go on to the next part is that St. Mary's, as soon as I got there, they selected me to be in the Emerging Leaders Program. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a truly beneficial program because, because of that, I became a student orientation assistant, and I also became a retreat leader. And in doing so, I had to tour adults. I had to do freshman 101 and explain to parents as a junior. And mind you, I was that was 17, barely 17 when I started college. So here's this, you know, barely 19 year old explaining to parents, here's how you let go of your child and here's how we're going to take care of them. And I'm putting freshman parents at ease who are twice my age, you know, and, yeah. but being able to, to speak to people of different ages, of different backgrounds, taking them on tour around the campus, really kind of enhanced leadership skills. Maybe I knew I had because of the clubs I'd been in, but I really hadn't refined. And so, uh, the next thing I got involved in, like I, I mentioned, there was a dark time in my life and I got heavily involved in campus ministry and, uh, you know, joining the retreats and, and becoming a leader and, and eventually they got me to become a tutor at Westside Catholic, which unfortunately is no longer around. It was a small Catholic school, obviously on the West side and the, the kids that that you met there had really been through it. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna cry again. <laughs> 
there was this little first grader who told me, Miss, I wish my mommy could be with me every night. And I said, where's, where's your mommy? And, and she, he said, well, she gets all painted up and, and she goes and visits all the men. And my heart just broke. I think I thought of him and I cried for days. Talked mm -hmm. to my mom about it, talked to the counselors about it and at school and they, they did something. I don't know what they did. I know that he made it to second grade and that was super positive for me. Um, I, you know, this kid is probably, if he was seven at the time, this we're talking 21 years ago. So mm -hmm. he's 28 now and I hope he's doing well, you know. Um, but that was, that was definitely an eye opener for me because even though, you know, things were rough, it was to me, and it's always about faith for me. God was really trying to teach me a lesson. It shows perspective. There really is a lot of people who are having to deal with their own sorrows and they live through it and put a smile on their face. And you So my mom know. started asking me to stay behind and get my teacher certification. And here we go with my, one of my biggest regrets. So I, I was in ROTC at the time at St. Mary's and my senior year, I made the rather dumb decision to drop out. I was desperate to get out of the situation that we were in at home. And so instead of staying with additional schooling, I mean, I, I did, right? I graduated, but instead of taking mm -hmm. on even more credits, I decided to go to work. And so I chose not to get my teaching certification. And, and I wasn't going to be a teacher anyway, so what did it matter, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I went into the first job I found, which was working with a law firm here. I was a legal secretary. Mm -hmm. And then I took on a night job, and I would process checks all night. So I worked from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., mm -hmm. and then from 8 to 3 at the law firm. And then I would come home, sleep for an hour, shower, eat a dinner, and go back to work. How did you balance this hectic schedule? And I, I didn't because I passed out at the second job from exhaustion. And since that was a temporary job, you know, they had the conversation with me that I probably couldn't continue after that week. And then I applied with the county and I became a juvenile detention officer. Wow. And I was a juvenile detention officer for four years. I progressed to become a JDO2, which is, there's only two levels. And so that was the higher one. Short of that, I could have either become a probation officer or like administration, but administration and detention, that's something that you basically, you're a lifer there, if you will. You're going to be there yeah. for 50 years. And the people that had been there had been there, they're, they're well-renowned. And so... I, when I was there, I got to see life in a whole different way. And, and I met a lot of kids who I will maintain until I die because people always go, ooh, kids at juvie. I would say 85% of them are there because of their circumstances, not because of, of, of I mean, yes, the circumstances, they, they don't have formed brains yet and they made really stupid decisions. But to say that they're bad, I, I can't. I can't say that. And and I I know this because I would sit in mods with them for eight hours, and we would sing, 
or we would play games or we would draw or we i would be rc which is rec coordinator and we'd go play volleyball i'm just normal kids being normal kids and they were locked up for you know stealing a car doing drugs or living on the streets or making the decisions that they made out of desperation and honestly i would say everybody has to be able to say they have to have the reality in their mind that they're but for the grace of god go i anybody at any time their life could fall apart and they could be on the streets and and get to the point of desperation where they feel like they have to make these horrible decisions and so i towards my fourth year there things were getting a little hairy as far as the other i didn't care for some of the behavior of the adults that that worked there and that worked in coalition with us I saw some not so uh, up and up things go on that that decided the life of a kid and yeah. and I didn't agree with it and speaking out was probably going to be a worm screaming uh, it's such a strong force I, I wouldn't have I didn't have the wherewithal within me in any way at, mm -hmm. at 22 23 24 I didn't know how to do that and so I started getting sick physically sick this is how it manifested itself every day when I walked in I was just telling a friend of mine this today I would swipe my ID card they would let me pass. I would run past that first door where there was an employee bathroom. I'd, I'd purge and then I'd go work because I just could not get through the door. So my mom, God bless her, she prayed every day for four years for me to get the heck out of that job. And uh, because I did, when I was there, you lose your faith. And I don't mean it like everybody who works there loses their faith. I don't mean that. but. Even though I, you know, and I keep having to say this, even though times are rough for me, having to deal with the ugliness of these kids' lives and trying to keep that straight face when they're telling you their story, seeing the light go out of kids' eyes, which is the worst thing a human can see. It would destroy me. It, did it, in a sense, humanize them to you? Because a lot of times uh, people, kids in juvie or or convicts are seen as they deserve oh, this. No, they were beautiful little humans. No, mm -mm, no, they were they were all beautiful humans, and there were there were I could count them on my fingers the ones that were gone. You know, the ones that I'm not sure uh, mm -hmm. could find help. But on my fingers, we had you know a count of 400 kids every day. So wow. and yeah, and so I. Uh, mom was praying and and I you know I had intimated to her at that point the things that I had seen she knew that I stopped going to church which was highly unlike me I mean this was a girl that was just leading campus ministry right yeah. I I stopped going to church I cursed like a sailor I drank every night uh, it was it was bad but this was the life you lead when you have to deal with that ugliness because you got to put it away and deal with it the next day and and it was all wrong like every part of every part of everything that i was doing to to handle this was incorrect but when you're in right but it was a it was a false it's a bad coping mechanism and yeah. so i my best friend he and my mom so just to date myself here you're about to find out how old i am he and my mom 
got into my word processor because there were no laptops at the time. <laughs> this is way back in the day. And, and so they, they got into my word processor and they got my resume. They tweaked it and they found out that the archdiocese was having a job fair. And he and my mom, my, she, he put my mom in her truck, in his truck, and off they went to the Archdiocesan job fair and dropped off my resume at multiple schools, unbeknownst to me, okay? In the meantime, he came by uh, to pick me up, and we went to audition for a play, and I made it, you know? Yeah. And I was super excited. I was in the show here in town, and, and then that's when they told me, hey, we took your resume. And I was like, oh. I don't know about this. I can't do this. You're crazy. I don't want to teach. I'm going to hate the kids and the kids are going to hate me. Like literally that's a quote. And because my mom reminds me of it, I think every year. And so <laughs> I, I got a call. The first call was from St. James and then the atonement Academy and then Mount Sacred Heart. And they were back to back to back calls. And I was getting very nervous because I felt like a fraud. I was like, I don't have, I'm not a teacher. I, I don't have a teaching degree. And so I went to the St. James interview and that nun was adorable. I, you know, all of my life being raised with nuns, I love them. And so I, I loved talking to her and she wanted me to do music in, se in second grade. And I thought, oh goodness, okay. I, I, I had no concept of what that would look like. And so I was just excited to, to even be considered. I went to the Atonement Academy and I'm not gonna get into the details, but it was, I will say it was the scariest interview I ever attended. And I will never interview there again. <laughs> and, then, and then Mount Sacred Heart called me. And I was five minutes late to that interview. And, and the lady that came to greet me, she's still there. And she walked me to the principal's office and the principal, looking at the principal was looking at like an, a village elder. She's just one of those warm, but very stringent women. And I had always known her as one of the Holy Trinity. Now, what do you mean by that? So I attended Blessed Sacrament when we moved from Hawaii. And there were three principles that kind of rocked the world. It was the principle at Blessed, the principle at Holy Spirit, and the principle at Mount Sacred Heart. And they, those women kept the schools just alive alive and thriving and so to sit behold before this legend you know was was something else i had i obviously i i dealt with the other two at some point mm -hmm. and so and so mrs herrera you know talked spoke with me very candidly and and then the next day i get a call from saint james offering me the job and I told her I had interviewed at Mount Sacred Heart and I was on the fence and I wasn't really sure. I wanted to kind of keep my options open. And my yeah. mom and I had a very serious talk and she said, you have to know yourself because now you have these two options on the table. And Mount Sacred Heart was gonna be for music. And, mm -hmm. and I said, okay, what are the, what's the deal? And my mom said, remember you were born late. I was very late to my mom, I was 19 days late. And you have been late to everything ever since. If you take a job across the city, you are not going to make it. And so, and at that young age where I was still, you know, discerning life, I, I listened to my mom and I'm glad I did. And mm -hmm. I took the job with Mount Sacred Heart. So I said, yes, and I walked through the doors to go sign my contract. And Mrs. Herrera is greeting me at the door and she's very upset with me. And I said, 
why is why are you angry with me and she said because you have also said yes to saint james and she says that you are her student and i are you're her teacher and i said no i did not say yes <laughs> i told her i was on the fence and she said well she's very upset with me and we had a very not nice phone call and i don't like being put in this situation and i i was like oh my goodness my first official day at work and here i am in trouble and so you know she called the the nun in front of me the the principal over there at saint james and the principal said okay no you know, fine, Mount Sacred Heart, you can have her. Never really clarifying that I never said yes to her, but that's okay. And I signed my contract in Mount Sacred Heart. So that was me, that was me becoming, no, let me say this again. That was me being hired as a teacher. My first year was really hard. I did not know what I was doing. I know how to, t I know music left and right, but I didn't know how to communicate that to the kids. And then on top of that, I was being thrown into the world of having to teach social and folkloric dance. The Spanish teacher had was having back surgery and they wanted me to sub for Spanish. I also had to assist the, the ballet teacher and, yeah. and teach them. And I didn't, she was just, oh, it's a beautiful lady, but I wanted her to be a little more aggressive with her teaching style. And so I was kind of, and, and you'd be surprised how much a, uh, a music teacher is involved in everything, especially in a, in a private elementary school. And so I, I felt kind of pulled in all directions, but what did me in <laughs> was my second week of having kindergarten. They didn't let me have kindergarten right away. It was a couple of weeks into school, but my second week of having kindergarten, this little girl, my mom is still good friends with her grandma, and I've, I've seen the little girl who's a grown woman now uh, several times, and she, the kids were screaming and dancing. I got them overly excited with a song that I was teaching them. I didn't know how to control them. And she comes up to me and she's patting me. Well, she can only reach my, my, my rear end, right? She can only reach my butt. And she's patting and patting. And I'm very annoyed because I don't like people in my bubble. And so I, I, I just stop her and I'm like, what, Marisa, what? And she goes, I can't sing the song you're teaching. I can't sing. And then she does this spin and she breaks out into the splits and just as dramatic as I could have ever asked for, she lifts up her hand and she says, but I can dance and <laughs> broke out into like these hysterics. Like I started laughing and crying and I stepped out of the door of kindergarten and I was in this like fall apart mode. And Mrs. Herrera, thank God her office was right across the hall. She looked at me and she said, first, first time seriously with kindergarten. And I said, yes. And she goes, you've done enough today, Miss Sudita, go home. And so I thought, oh my God, <laughs> I went home and I was like, I've been fired because of a kindergarten class. Like I was flipping out. So I, I came in sheepishly the next day and everything went as normal. And I did have some failures, but I would say it was the end of my second year that I really became a teacher. And that's kind of the story of how I became a teacher. <laughs> Someone needs to buy the movie rights right now right i think i think every first year teacher would would appreciate the stories of my first year I, I every time i meet a first year teacher i'm like let me sit you down and tell you it's okay to that blew my mind i honestly never would assume that being a teacher took so much tenacity i mean obviously a lot of kids can be very hard-headed but me being a kid i never realized how hard-headed we are and I just have to admire your patience in all honesty. I, it, you know, it's not, 
I don't think it's a hard-headedness. Yes, of course, right? Everybody is hard-headed in something about a subject, whatever. I think it's, or what I've discovered is, and I haven't discovered it for everybody, but I, I, I and those are the ones that kind of stick with you, you know, but I, I think it's a matter of learning how to find people, reach people where they are. And if you're able to reach any human being where they are and start where they are, then you're going to get them where you need them to be or where you expect them to be. And that's, that's, I think that's a big secret of, of the world of education. You can't just walk into a room. My mom has this example that she uses all the time when she was, I don't know if she was in high school or college, but the teacher walks in and says, you see the textbook, the A is for the textbook, the B is for me, and everyone else in here will get a C or below. And I just think that's backwards. You have mm -hmm. to set, okay, so one of my absolute teaching theories is I will never set the bar at a standard. I will always set the bar way above the standard and I'm gonna expect the kids to exceed that standard. And without failure, since I decided that, the kids have always exceeded the standard, always. I've never met a kid that falls short that, that really wants to. Of course, you know, there have been some kids who are just not interested in school, period. Yeah. But, but in my programs, I've been blessed with just the awesomest kids who see that I want the best for them. I don't want them to, I, I of course, you know, it's a feather in your cap if someone goes on to do what you do. But I, I'm not interested in creating every kid to become, you know, a filmmaker, a theater teacher in theater or in music or anything. I just want them to be the best them. Mm -hmm. And, and it has happened every time once you once you set the bar for them to exceed the standard they never let you down that's in, that's incredible honestly because we hear so many stories of oh i had this horrible teacher in high school who made me absolutely hate the subject and you always tend to forget that for every bad teacher there could be two three four five great teachers who make you love and absolutely love the subject. And in your case, you love music, arts, theater. Has there any, ever been any, I guess, influence growing up that made you love music? Any favorite band? Anything that captivated you and wanted to pursue it? Okay. Uh, wow, that's, that's a long question. I'm going to try to shorten it. So my parents both played instruments. My aunt sang that she was a national anthem performer for the Houston Astros. And my uncle is a big trim, salsa trombone player in Houston. Not that my family's from Houston. But for some reason, they relocated. My dad's from Brooklyn, so all of them are from Brooklyn. And, and his family's from Ecuador. My mom's from Puerto Rico, and her family's kind of split. And so, you know, music's just kind of, it's a given. It's funny because in my in my family, what I do is nothing special. Everybody plays an instrument, everybody reads music, everybody has a degree, everybody is either a teacher, a social worker, a registered nurse, or a doctor. You know, so in my family, it's kind of like, oh, okay, congratulations, let's move on. And and so luckily I was grown up in the world of records. 
and or I was I was growing up around the time of records and so we had record players and my mom would jam out to her music and I would I, I would get up and get to dance with her my dad would jam out to his music and they are very different and I would you know jam with him and so he very much brought in the rock heavy rock and mm -hmm. jazz into my world my mom very much brought in like the easy listening the classical and the of course the hispanic salsa influence and so i really gained this wide knowledge of music and i just it wasn't necessarily an influence it was just kind of a given this is part of what you do as a well-rounded human being and i just kind of loved it when i was five i had a beautiful music teacher. Her name was Katherine Johnson. I always hope I'll find her. I know she moved to Oklahoma, but I, I, we were in Hawaii at the time. And, and in Hawaii, it's also very much an intricate part of being a student, or at least it was in the 80s. You know, every every May 1st, there was a huge performance called May Day, and every student had to participate in a dance. And I'm talking across the island of Hawaii, at least at the time. Every Christmas, we had this massive Christmas concert, and I guess what you would call the AT&T Center here, but whatever it was over there, I couldn't tell you the name. And, and I also belonged to Kiki Music Choir, but in addition to that, I was in a, a, a slew of dance, but I was also in karate class parents just kept me super involved and then I was in a reading program that uh, I, I always think back to it and go god doggone it you know like what's the deal back then you would read 500 books or a thousand books for multiple sclerosis and they would give you a trip to get a free ice cream or a free dinner or something when I was aged out of it and I moved to Texas, I found out that top winners, which would have been me in some of the years, they got full rides to college. They got computers. I was like, wait, how come we yeah. didn't have those mega prizes back then? You must have gotten the short end of the stick. Yeah, that's okay. And then I... With Miss Johnson, I, I took piano. She also helped me audition for a Broadway play. And and I, with Kiki Music Choir, I performed around the islands and just fun. Performing is just fun, you know? It, it's an outlet to, mm -hmm. to, to bring joy to other people. And, and, and so then in band in high school, I, I loved doing jazz band. I was the only girl for four years in jazz band in high school. And I was the only girl for four years in jazz band in college. So that was very, an interesting situation, but I loved it. It was always fun if you were playing at, at a function and people would get up and dance. And, and you know, you as a musician, even if you were young, you inspired these people to dance. And it was, that was always a blessing. And then of course, marching band with all of its, pizzazz and people yelling in the stands and football so huge here in Texas that it was it was amazing to me and then you know I was blessed to be at Providence at a time when the Providence Central Band was very powerful and mm -hmm. and incredibly winning we we won many many uh, accolades over the four years I was there and and then same with St. Mary's and then I got to dance. I started doing flamenco and and really touching into my Spanish roots and being to, being able to perform all over the city, also. And so I can't say that there was a person who influenced me. It was seeing the joy in people's faces when we were performing, 
And and that's really that's really the fun of it. I, I just I love it. I love you know, you hear a song and people go, ah, except this time you're the one doing the song and people are reminiscing or enjoying themselves. They don't know who the heck you are. You're up on stage and you're this this background player, but it's the yeah. joy that emanates from them. That's that's inspiring to me. So are you a people person? I I, I guess you would say I'm a people person. I I enjoy this is a tricky question also. I enjoy being around people and I love talking to them and, and, and meeting them and, and learning about them. But then there are times I definitely am a very happy hermit. Me too. <laughs> you too. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I guess in my experience with music, I've always had a shifting taste. Um, freshman year, I would absolutely be a hip hop head. Then I would transition and I discovered uh, jazz music and I was super into jazz. I would fire up a pot of coffee, I'd put on my jazz music and I would just go to work uh, on just whatever assignment I'd be doing. But I mean, for me, music has always been more of a more of a place I can just retreat to and not think about pretty much anything and just enjoy the experience of it. See, and then on the other end, here's the person who's making the music who's happy to see that you're just chilling. Exactly. Speaking about music, do you think that now contemporary music is evolved, right? Especially since the 90s or the 80s. What type of music do you prefer? <laughs> if you could see me on this end, my eyes are kind of bulging out. I think I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> so I I definitely love the oldies. And by oldies, I mean, the 20s through the 40s. <laughs> and, and in Spanish and in English. And I do love classical music. My mom and I will go to a show at the Tobin and we'll just sit there and cry. Not because, oh, we're at the Tobin. We've been to many concert halls, but because it's just so gorgeous and it's so ethereal, right? It just takes you to this whole different place. And now there are times though, you'll see me driving off the campus and I've got some crazy heavy, loud rock. Oh, on. I love that. I love rock and roll. Oh, Joe Jet. And but it would be classic. Oh, absolutely. I don't there's not many oh, bands that are out right now that I would, you know, claim. I have never been a person to listen to the pop music of mm -hmm. the time, which is odd. So with the exceptions of I, I would call them the megas, right? The the ones that have lasted forever. So Elton John and Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Prince, Madonna, Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. I would say with the exception of those people that continue to last and remain, even though in some cases they're, they've met their maker. Mm -hmm. I, I never really jammed out to what my friends were listening to. And, and so now I did enjoy them at the dances, which is odd. You know, Erasure would come on, I'd go nuts at a dance, but I would, I never had the tape. I didn't have actually the tape until it became a CD. And I bought it about 10 years after they were popular. And, and so it was kind of almost a, a retro thing, but I, so what do I listen to now? If I'm not listening to the news, I'm on, on NPR, I'm a, I'm a news junkie. I'm listening to classical or, or something I can sing to because I need to keep my chops up, right? Even though this pandemic has really kind of made us all a little Elmer fetish and that we're not using our pipes as much. I'm slamming to some rock and roll. That's 
that's me. <laughs> I relate to that so much. <laughs> I would give up almost anything to go see Nirvana play live. I would love to go see ACDC in their prime. Oh, yes. Or Metallica's Phenomenal Kiss. And then there's some musicians that I don't, I don't think I realized how brilliant and phenomenal they were until I was older. I, I always liked them, but I didn't really uh, go bananas over the, the intricacies of their music. And the three I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm sure people will criticize me for that, and I don't care, are Sting. I, I love absolutely. I love Sting. Sting. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Then And then Elton John, the brilliance of him. Well, there's actually four. I'm sorry. Elton John and then Freddie Mercury. And Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder is a freaking genius. There's nothing that that man writes that doesn't blow me away. If I could add on to that list, I would probably add Kurt Cobain. Okay, absolutely. Definitely. And then, you know, I, I'm sorry, I had a blessing. I got to see B.B. King. You know, I got to see Frank Sinatra. That's awesome. If I wanted to go back in time, right, I would add Coltrane and Ellington and all them. But of the four that are, well, Freddie Mercury's not still around, but of the four that in the pop genre, if you will, of the modern times, those would be the four that I consider absolutely genius. I would absolutely love to go see Freddie Mercury. I would love to be one person in that crowd when they were playing in Live Aid. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, so, I lived through that. <laughs> I lived through Live Aid and Farm Aid and uh, we, you know, the, the, the birth of We Are the World and all that awesome collaboration that was taking place to, to love on our nation's people. It was, it was a beautiful time. Even though it was an ugly time, it was a beautiful time. But that's yeah, a conversation. Yeah. So to kind of change, I guess, the mood of it. That's fine. Uh, uh, if you could give advice to your 18-year-old self, what would it be? If I gave advice to my 18-year-old self, what would it be? So when I was 18, I was a sophomore going to be a junior. What would it be? It would probably be multiple. Keep the faith. Don't lose mm -hmm. sight of your faith. That's a big one. Have faith in yourself because I had none. And I mean no faith in myself. Mm -hmm. uh, Learn how to network at a young age. I was terrified of, they would have these networking moments at St. Mary's and I was terrified. I, I would just remain off the campus those days. I was that scared. Yeah. Uh, it, the bad will end and the good will come in beautiful ways. Um, and, and continue to harvest all of your gifts polish them all of them don't leave one behind keep going don't get desperate keep going and and yeah it kind of all goes back to keeping the faith really yeah do you think the world right now especially right now we are in a constant state of turmoil and just in general to have a more optimistic outlook what do you think should happen to we impact the world? What would be, I guess, your tip to make the world a better place? Would it be to have more compassion with people, be more tolerant, or just 
educate yourself more on more issues so you can understand other people. What, what would you say? <laughs> yes, to all three of those. I think they go incredibly hand in hand. I wish you could meet one of my favorite graduate professors, Dr. Alcindor. She would, and, and Dr. Sandra, oh gosh, Guzman also, they would, they would both love this moment. I, without education, and I don't mean necessarily a formal education where you're sitting in a desk or in front of a computer these days, right? I, I don't mean that, but without an education of learning about other people and, and who they are, and again, being able to take them where they're at and accept them where they're at, without being able to do that, the world's not gonna move forward. We yeah. have to, we have to be able to be, to use your words, compassionate with each other and understand that everybody's not in the same place and everybody doesn't have to get to the same place, but we can walk the same road until they split and be at yeah. peace with that. And, and I think that if we <clears throat> understood each other more, it would it would be such a tremendously different world and of course you know these are pipe dreams but i think yeah. little by little you know the internet went the almost the wrong way i think and mm -hmm. and, and there's there's awesome blessings to it but there are you know we have this ability to reach across the world now and understand each other better. And it seems that instead it's affected our commu communication skills to the point where we don't know how to speak with others because of the you know, ability to type with our fingers. I've noticed that people don't know how to read facial expressions or, or gestures. They don't understand those nonverbal cues. And that's such a huge part of understanding, but also accepting that I can't impose who I am on you. So Mr. Hurdle, who was my favorite high school teacher, God rest his soul, he said, he would always say, my rights end where your nose begins. And for us to always remember that, he wanted us to be strong girls, you know, women of provenance. And so I always think that it's not just, you know, people always think that's a physical thing, right? Well, I can't cross the barrier of your nose because then I'm in your personal space. But that also applies to beliefs and, and social structures and how you choose to live. And it's one thing that, you know, you want to help people, but it's another mm -hmm. thing to say what you do is wrong. And, yeah. and of course, of course, you know, it's always, this, this can go so many ways, Jason, I'm sorry, but you know, of course, if, if someone's on the wrong path and you know they're gonna end up hurting themselves or someone else, of course you need to steer them, guide them, do whatever you can, right? But mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's just something you don't agree with, well then mm -hmm. that's, that's something you have to look inwards and say, why is it that that bothers me internally so much? What, what is it about my life that I have such a hole that your way of living makes me so uncomfortable? And I think that if we could do that, and we could under we could seek to understand people's histories, and not, and not just their histories, but their traditional histories, their cultural histories. I think if we can if we can reach out and do that and respect each other for who we are and where we came from, I think the world would be an incredibly different place. And everybody should do more arts and crafts and listen to music and perform. <laughs> always, 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 they should have that. And, you know. I was going to say something random, but I, I have this firm belief, I, I, and this is why I'll never be president, I guess, but I think mm -hmm. every young person should work in, in the service industry 
for two years. I agree. I think, yes, they should all work either food service or some type of service where they have to be humble and, and, and say yes. Because when that happens, they will respect everybody who has chosen those industries to be their career. And again, they would, they would appreciate everything more, I think. I know that doesn't really go with the question, but I had to put that in there because. I absolutely agree with it. So it's no secret. And I can personally attest to it. Being a teenager can come with so much angst, right? It can come with a time where you feel lost and honestly begin to doubt yourself. And I guess in my personal experience, and I've been very, very fortunate to have many role models where I can look up to and ask them for advice and, hey, you were my age once. What did you do? And I would be able to listen and learn. But a lot of people don't have this privilege. And if they do, they might be looking up to the wrong people. And they might end up in situations where they probably shouldn't be. And I guess to this question why I'm building up to this is, how important do you think is having a role model at a young age? And how does that affect one's development? So I probably would say I had multiple role models. And I think that they were the right ones for me at the time. I would, I know a lot of people would probably say the opposite. My parents were extremely strict, but I'm very grateful for their strictness because it kept me out of a lot that my, my chosen circles at the time were involved in. And I, and luckily I missed it. I dodged those bullets, if you will. So I would say I would start with my parents being role models to me for different reasons. And, but both of them extremely intelligent, both of them extremely studious. My mom, extremely faithful and, and always very nice. It drives me crazy sometimes how nice she is (laughs) and, and always very giving. And I, I, I try, I try to be that way, but I, I unfortunately, however you might say it, got some of the cynicism from my dad and, and, you know, for good or bad though, for what it's worth, I, I, it's something to admire in her. And Mm -hmm. so, but in addition to that, I really always looked up to my teachers and because I looked up to my teachers and that's not because of this podcast, this is the truth. I maintained a relationship with them. I was able to continue talking to them for the longest time. I, when I graduated from college, I could still go back to blessed and see my teachers there in high school all the way till today. Now that I'm teaching as well in the archdiocese, I, I still run up and, you know, I, I still call the music director at our at our church. She was I was her very first music class. So she was super young when she was teaching us. And I, I still call her maestra when I text her. I'm like, maestra. And I have a question for her. And and so having those teachers as role models were huge for me. Also, I was raised very much with the with the with the tribal heritage of speaking to your elders. And so when there was a question my mom could not answer for me, and there were some moments in my life where it it happened, she would call some older people from church and she would take me to their house. And if it wasn't the nun's house, right? Because a lot of time it was the nun's house. But uh, other time it was the elders of the church 
And, and I would, my mom would explain whatever it was that happened, teenage angst in several cases. And, and then they would sit and talk to me mm-hmm. and they would listen. And, and so having that habit instilled in me, even when I was changing jobs from Mount Sacred Heart, you know, from going from elementary school to high school at St. Anthony and switching from St. Anthony to Holy Cross, even doing that, I would post on my Facebook, literally it can be retraced. I would like to speak to my village elders. I need some older, wiser people to speak some some truth into me or some some wisdom to me. And sure enough, these people that I have grown up respecting, whether through the church or through theater now, being a part of the theater community here in San Antonio, or through friends I've gathered, because I, I have always had friends of all ages. So for example, a friend of ours from church just died and he was 98, you know. Uh, I was able to sit and speak with them and, and, or Facebook with them or give me a call and explain to me how lives change and how paths change. And without those role models there, I, I think I would have been confused or not consoled in my decisions. And, and I think that having that whole mess of role models, cause I can't just put, I can't just say one, you know, but having that whole slew of role models that I could interchange when necessary in my life was, was absolutely a guiding force in everything that's gone right. And I guess to kind of wrap things up, here's a little fun question. Um, if you could have a dinner party, and you were allowed to invite three guests of honor. It doesn't matter. They could be fictional, real, dead, alive, imaginary. Who would they be? A dinner party with three guests. Yes. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to take out all the people that are on the earth with me because that would be too easy. So without question, Leonardo da Vinci. He would have to be at the table with me, absolutely. I think I'm torn between Mary Shelley and Nellie Bly only because they were women who did so much for women through through their audacity to to write and Nellie Bly if you're not familiar with her she was a reporter who went undercover into the asylums and and exposed them she was a audacious newspaper reporter woman and I just to fight that male world was is just something really impressive to me if I couldn't get them to I would I would look for one of the iron-jawed angels which are the suffragettes Mm -hmm. and then the third person so those women not that they're interchangeable but they're they're important and the the third person who gosh it's such a it's such a tear oh gosh yeah if I could go fictional it would absolutely be Sherlock Holmes if I were not fictional again I I live in that 1800s era so Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe and if not oh yes and if not a world leader I feel like, you know, I, I think that people always say, well, what about the saints? You know, I, I, I you know, I know everybody says Jesus and I, I just feel like, and however corny this may sound to you, I feel like I talk to him all the time. So, and I argue with him all the time. <clears throat> A religious leader of the past, it would be St. Paul. Just mm-hmm. the brilliance of his writings 
are incredible to me. And, and the fact that he wrote these letters and I'm a lector at church. And when I get to read his letters, when I, when it happens that it's a reading from, you know, reading from the letter of St. Paul to the whatever's right. Colossians, Romans, Ephesians. I am, I feel like I'm sitting in the prison with him reading that letter, you know, writing that letter with him and, and him trying to reach out to people to think about, to rethink their thoughts and to be more peaceful with their actions. And, oh man, I, I would love a moment to sit in that prison with him and just say, how come, like, how are you in these awful circumstances? And it's cool with you to write this right now, you know? And, and so those would be the, probably the tops. Of course, you know, everybody, the popular ones, God bless them. And they rock Martin Luther King and Sam Cooke and Mandela and all of them. They're, they're fabulous, of course, who wouldn't be blessed? But I think those would be never unending conversations with the ones that I mentioned. And I know those weren't three, but I, you'd never get a straight answer out of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm all for it. It's fascinating, honestly. I absolutely love this interview. So it's about that time where we start to wrap things up. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time. Honestly, I really appreciate it. And everything mentioned here, I am absolutely sure that at least someone will pick up on something and maybe that, that something will, will linger on in their head and maybe influence them and maybe do something for the best. And honestly, I, I truly believe that fine arts are very, I think they're necessary. I think people need to need to find solace in them because I found solace in them and I, don't, I couldn't imagine my life without them. You know, at a time when the world turned to everything fine arts because that's the only thing they could enjoy <clears throat> through their computers or their TV, I hope that people realize what an incredible necessity it is to be able to appreciate the art that's created and the art that exists in the world. Just, you know, the geometry of a rock, the beautiful mm -hmm. geometric pattern, patterns of a rock and the formations that birds make and that, you know, trees have in their leaves and the colors that birds have in their feathers and and even just the, the birds everybody ignores if you really look at those black birds that everybody hates their colors on their feathers they're, they're they reflect this blue that's just beautiful and 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 so i i i don't know that i could live eat or breathe if any of the fine arts were permanently erased from the planet <clears throat> it's so intricately within me that I don't know I would exist. I, I feel like I would just kind of go poof, like a puffball into non-existence if, if things of beauty like music and, and art and crafts, doing crafts that takes your brain off of so many things for so long and you just enjoy making things for others or to beautify your home. And, you know, I, I don't know what I would do without them. And I, I hope that everybody number one, finds something that they can do, whether it's really go and be able to enjoy a walk through a museum and it really appreciate the art with them that they're seeing, or whether it's actually creating a piece of art, whatever it is, writing a poem, writing a haiku, you know, drawing, drawing lines and putting them together, having the best stick figures on the planet, whatever it is. I hope everybody finds at least one artistic outlet. And I hope everybody finds the time to appreciate the art that is constantly all around them. And, and finally, I, it's really important that everybody finds 
everybody knows, not everybody finds, that everybody really knows within their heart that they can be good at something. It, it's, it's something that people forget, but everybody is good at something. Everybody has that purpose in their life, whatever that purpose is, and I hope they find it and, and, and not stop until they do. And when they do, make it an explosion in whatever their world is, whether their world is a world of one or their world is a world of a million and they can influence the entire globe as we know it. That was very poetic. And I, I hope these words resonate within people because they're life-changing. And honestly, the world could use a bit of life-changing right now. So that was our interview with Miss Luisette Zurita, the Fine Arts Director at Holy Cross High School. We thank her eternally for her time, her efforts, and her absolutely captivating stories. Thank you to whoever might be listening to this. And we will see you the next time. Goodbye.